Hey everybody, I know, I know, we are super late on finishing season three. We're just running into some creative problems and still editing the final episodes. We'll get there. In the meantime, I published an essay about particle physics and science communication to the Poseidon Institute substack recently, and I thought I'd read it for you here. It's about a recent critique of particle physics given by Professor Sabine Hassenfelder, printed in The Guardian this past September. And to be honest, it came out sounding a bit negative, especially when reading it aloud. I usually try really hard to avoid pushing negativity out into the world, especially when responding to criticism. And that's why I framed it as a question of editorializing, a perhaps unintended consequence of the internet content marketing treadmill. Funding for fundamental research is always tight, and there's a bit of rebalancing going on right now in academia broadly. In particle physics, the problem of research funding and incentives is one that folks are actively working on. A serious conversation is welcome and needed, but the need for interaction metrics can make this conversation a little bit hard to have out in the open. Sabine, if you're out there, I've got nothing but love and appreciation for your stalwart anti-establishment insistence. Thank you for your work. We just disagree about the content and the scope of these problems. The Perils of Science Communication Where do we draw the line between outreach and clickbait? In the film Einstein's Big Idea, French scientist Antoine Lavoisier is portrayed just as he discovers how to split water into oxygen and hydrogen gas thereby realizing the conservation of mass in chemical reactions. Lavoisier is generally credited with disproving the phlogiston theory of combustion and reframing chemistry as a quantitative science. This shift from the qualitative is emphasized in a specific scene where Lavoisier meets with an excited young man who is pitching his apparatus for observing heat. Lavoisier assertively dresses down the man for failing to meet the modern, quantitative standards for scientific experiment. This man is later revealed to be a revolutionary, and Lavoisier's final act of the film ends with an escort to the guillotine. While dramatized, the message is clear. Science needs popular support, and clear communication is just not enough. We need to do more than educate. We need to build community with inspiration, excitement, and respect for science. We also need to share with folks how science works. Respect for science is a value we share as scientists, but it's not universal. Whether or not science is morally entitled to respect is irrelevant. Without constantly striving to earn and refresh that respect from society, it can be lost. The Siren Call of the Outsider Science communication is a rapidly professionalizing field that encompasses a spectrum from dynamic professional speakers to university department media managers to science-minded journalists. From journalists like Natalie Wolchover to professors like Tatiana Yurikmova, there's a lot of great work being done by people that I admire. The line between SciComm and marketing is, however, extremely thin. And unfortunately, the internet's content treadmill incentivizes their confluence. Journals and university departments alike publish heroic press releases about recently accepted scientific publications by department staff, as if they were breakthrough results. 
but more often than not, these results are merely slow, incremental progress. How is anyone but a specialist supposed to understand the difference? The SciComm ecosystem, in other words, is full of noise, especially for a general audience. And cutting through that noise can be tough. But content editors have had a tool for this as long as humans have printed newspapers. Headlines. Here's a recent one. Quote, no one in physics dares say so, but the race to invent new particles is pointless. In private, many physicists admit they do not believe the particles they are paid to search for exist. They do it because their colleagues are doing it. Unquote. Sabine Hassenfelder, Contribution to the Guardian, Opinion, 26 September 2022. As a lead generator, this headline and its subtitle are incredible. Given the current intellectual climate around distrusting experts, it hits all the high points. All these experts have no idea what they're doing, there's some structural conspiracy, and oh by the way, they're wasting your money. Taken with the author's antagonistic outsider persona, a self-described former particle physicist, it's a direct aim at the establishment of particle physics as a field of study. But really, it's a recipe for clicks, likes, and angry shares. Unfortunately, the piece willfully and violently mischaracterizes the current state of particle physics. In fact, it's so flagrant and so short that it's worth a read. Definitely check the links in the show description. A reading guide to Hassenfelder's complaint. Here is a highlighted list of rhetorical and factual errors which both discredit the thesis of Hassenfelder's piece and demonstrates its disservice to the endeavor of science communication. Broadly, high energy or particle physics is the study of what constitutes matter and energy as well as the forces that govern their dynamics. Like any good science, it involves a study of both what particles we see, as well as how those forces work. Hassenfelder's piece begins with a collection of names of physical models at various stages of generality. As written, it conflates them with concrete models for actual physical particles, you know, phenomenology. Doing so betrays such a misunderstanding of how particle physics works in practice that it was almost certainly an editorial decision. Let's consider a few examples. The Sfermion. The Sfermion is a very broad class of particle. It's a collective noun akin to saying cats or even mammals. They are particles associated to fundamental fermions, you know, particles of matter like the electron, muon, or up quark, by a general class of models related to the idea of supersymmetry. Whence the name Sfermion. The S is for super. The magnetic monopole. Magnetic monopoles are another broad class of particle. An electric monopole is a particle like an electron or a proton or even an alpha particle. It's something that has an electric charge. Now, we have not seen sufficient evidence for the existence of magnetically charged magnetic monopoles particles, although we do typically see that electrically charged particles enjoy magnetic dipole charges, those with both a north and south pole. However, the existence of magnetic monopoles would help us understand why all electric charges seem to exist as a discrete multiple of only a single fundamental charge, you know, the electron's charge. This is something we see in nature and have no a priori explanation for. Most models of observed particle physics that include magnetic monopoles suggest that they should be quite heavy, outside the current reach of collider experiments. And if they did exist, and there is no reason to expect that they should not, 
we'd expect to see more of them on cosmological grounds. The fact that we don't gave rise to the modern theory of inflation, which has enjoyed tremendous observational success. Dions. Dions are simply magnetic monopoles that also carry electric charge. It's a broad class of model. These are often used in simplified models of particle physics to help understand how the nuts and bolts of the mathematical machinery works. WIMPs. The WIMP is actually an acronym. It stands for Weakly Interacting Massive Particle. That is, a particle with a large mass that interacts exclusively, aside from gravitation, with the weak nuclear force. They would be akin to heavy neutrini. WIMP zillas, also mentioned in Sabine's piece, are just an example of a kind of WIMP. This class of model has been used to study dark matter, as the observed strength of the weak nuclear force appeared to naturally coincide with the parameter needed to explain the production of dark matter particles in the universe. Skirmions. Skirmions are complicated configurations of the fields that define individual particles, that are often used to describe phenomena in the physics of solids, you know, condensed matter. And they do exist. They have been observed. For all of this stuff, don't forget to check the references in the show notes. Hassenfelder's argument that these are worthless particles used to describe some statistical anomaly is a classic fallacy of its own, a straw man. These models, or classes of models just described, study open problems in physics. They do this either directly, as in the study of dark matter, or indirectly, as for the study of how the nuts and bolts of gauge theory works. This line of straw man argumentation hinges on another factual error in the essay's main thesis. Quote, For example, the currently accepted theory of elementary particles, the standard model, doesn't require new particles, it works just fine the way it is. Unquote. The standard model doesn't work the way it is. While it is true that right now we don't need new particles to specifically describe any phenomena, there is a bunch of phenomena that we don't yet understand and may well need new particles for. The standard model works pretty well, but there are holes. It doesn't explain the mass of the neutrini. It doesn't explain dark matter. It doesn't explain the near absence of antimatter in our universe, at least completely. And relatedly, and perhaps more pragmatically, it fails to explain the missing electric dipole moment of the neutron, as pointed out by Dan Hooper in his response to Hassenfelder's essay. It also raises more questions about the physics of the Higgs boson. To say that the standard model works just fine is antithetical to the aims of particle physics and science more broadly. We're looking to understand how it works. The work is to improve that understanding to higher precision, amongst other things. There are other errors in the piece. For example, the positron wasn't proposed by Dirac to solve a problem. If anything, it was a problem with his original work. It wasn't observed until 1932, well after he published his 1928 paper combining special relativity with a model for the electron in the atom. His problem was an attempt to factor the Klein-Gordon equation. The Schrodinger equation describes the electron, quote, just fine, unquote. It's good enough to still be taught to undergraduate students in physics today. You see, science can progress both by looking for models with better precision, as well as by happy accident. Dirac's pursuit for the former led to the latter. With this historical context in mind, Hassenfelder's thesis would hold that the positron was the grain for Dirac's, quote, blind chicken, unquote. 
since we now use holes, as Dirac originally called them, to study the physics of semiconductors, or positrons, more appropriately, in medical imaging, perhaps we can dispense with the notion that the act of doing particle physics properly is a waste of time. On falsification. And all this leads to the main rhetorical failure of Hassenfelder's piece. Quote, but I believe the biggest contributor to the trend is a misunderstanding of Karl Popper's philosophy of science, which, to make a long story short, demands that a good scientific idea has to be falsifiable. Particle physicists seem to have misconstrued this to mean that any falsifiable idea is good science. Unquote. Particle physicists are not drawing new ideas from thin air. There are definite boundaries and guardrails in place. For example, CPT invariance, unitarity, Einstein's theory of special relativity are all constraints that are used when studying models of particle physics. It is not an anything-goes proposition. Hassenfelder fails to offer any insight into what good science is, and in particular where the line between good and bad science is, and how does ambulance chasing and inventing new particles cross that line. The entire piece is a rhetorical red herring. Clickbait, in other words. Particle physics is a complicated field of study with little a priori effect on our daily lives. It only gets press when something big happens, like finding the Higgs boson. The excitement around weak-scale supersymmetry and the associated dark matter candidates, followed by the absence of evidence at the LHC, naturally raises questions about costs and resource allocation. Supersymmetry was a very good idea that just didn't pan out at the weak scale for the LHC. Nature is mysterious. This, presumably, is the germ of Hassenfeller's critique, an imbalance of resources and incentives within particle physics itself. Now, this is a serious conversation that the community has already devoted much effort to with its recent decadal survey, the Snowmass Meetings, which aims to do just that, rebalance resources and incentives. In this context, we see that the seething, unfounded critiques of particle physics as wasteful by Hassenfelder jumps the line from thoughtful policy criticism as science communication deep into the realm of internet marketing. The too long didn't read, didn't listen? Hey, particle physics is doing just fine. Our job as scientists is not only to do science, but to also communicate it, to teach it, to show the public not only what science is capable of, but how evidence-based argumentation works. Without focused effort, we risk the public support for science and its ecosystem of technological advancement. And without that public understanding and support, our budgets, or worse, may soon face the guillotine. This has been a bonus episode presented with The Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Pasayton Institute. It was originally published as a newsletter at pasaytoninstitute.substack.com. You can check out our Substack for more information and commentary on particle physics, physics generally, as well as some technical lectures in quantum mechanics. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Back to our regularly scheduled Season 3, just as soon as we can. <laughs>